We're going to be looking this morning at Luke chapter 24, and I would encourage you to use your Bibles if you have them. Otherwise, the text will be behind me here on the wall. Everyone likes to hear and receive great news. I mean, we just do. For example, I would suspect that it would have been absolutely great news to Israel's ears if out of that uh, event in Switzerland they had the absolute guarantee that Iran was going to immediately, drastically cut steps in the uh, uranium or the production of uranium. And also they heard that they said they're going to destroy all their nuclear weapons. Now, that didn't happen, but if that would have happened and could be confirmed, that would have been what you call great news when it comes to Israel and those living over there. You know, for multitudes of people who are committed and dedicated to saving the earth, if they heard that all the major nations had agreed to immediately take drastic steps to cut the out- output of carbon, and they believed that, that they believe it's polluting the earth's atmosphere and causing global warming, I know they would think this really is great news. They would love to hear that. Now, perhaps for you, though, if you go home and there was a knock at your door or your doorbell rang, and lo and behold, as you open up the door, there are the members of the Publishers Clearinghouse sweepstakes. (laughs) And they said, you are the winner. You are going to get $7,000 a week for the rest of your life. And whoever else you should choose, they also are going to get $7,000 a week for the rest of their life. I think you would say, that is really great news. And some of you are going to go home afterwards. You're going to wait for that doorbell to ring or the door knock. Uh, Probably won't happen. (laughs) You know, for some, though, maybe they're fighting an incurable disease like cancer or something else. And lo and behold, it's discovered a cure for the disease they have or the loved one has. And uh, they know that they've been given just days or weeks to live. And then they hear this news and it's available. That would be what you consider great news to their ears. Well, in all these scenarios, had each one taken place, individuals obviously would have indeed heard and received great news. But they would not have received or heard the greatest news of all. We've been singing about that, haven't we? The greatest news ever heard. This morning we celebrate that greatest news, and that, of course, is the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. So great that all four gospel writers had to put it in their gospel accounts. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And this morning we're going to be looking at Luke's account of this greatest of all news, found in Luke chapter 24. I'm going to read verses 1 through 8 of that chapter at this time, and you can follow along either in the Bible or on the uh, wall behind me here. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, Two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling clothing, and as the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living one among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. 
Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again? And they remembered his words. These women's world had fallen apart just three days prior to this on Friday. They were utterly struck and dumbfounded, grief-stricken in their heart as they realized that this one that they thought was their Messiah was being delivered by the religious leaders over to Pilate. And the Roman governor, he sentenced Jesus to be crucified. And they knew as the soldiers took Jesus out there and nailed his hands and his feet to that cross. They could not believe what they were viewing, what they were seeing there. Now, in our text, it's early Sunday morning. These faithful, devoted women were about to hear the greatest news that they had ever heard. Jesus was going to take, listen, he was going to take facts that these women had heard, facts that had not registered with them when they heard them, and he was going to make them a reality in their lives. We notice there was no hint in these women's lives that they expected Jesus' words about his resurrection to come to pass. In fact, we're told in verse 1, they came early to the tomb with these spices. They were going to take that wrapping that was around that decaying body and put more, add more spices to it. What an amazing surprise met them as they arrived at the tomb. I mean, where were the guards? Why was the large stone rolled to the side? And who had rolled it to the side? And then as they entered the tomb, where was his body? Just as Friday was a shock to these ladies, now another jolt hit them one at the same time again. As these women stood very perplexed, the Bible says suddenly two men appeared before them in dazzling clothing. God had sent two of his angels with a message to them. We read in verses 5 through 8, And as the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living one among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. And it says, And they remembered his words. Notice there was something very important, in fact, life-changing, that Jesus had told them more than once, but it just didn't sink in. They could not accept it as being true. He had told them that he was going to go up to Jerusalem. He would be delivered over to the religious leaders. They, in turn, would deliver him over to the Romans, to Pilate. And he was going to be crucified. But on the third day, he would rise again. This information he had told them a number of times, but it just didn't sink in. It didn't fit their theology. It didn't fit their plans for Jesus. Today we celebrate Jesus' resurrection, the day of the greatest news ever heard. Churches are filled with people today. Many that normally don't come to church come on Easter, and they're filled with people. And like these women, multitudes know and believe that Jesus is the Son of God. They believe that he did die on a cross. They believe that he actually was raised from the dead on the third day. But for some reason it has not made an impact, it's not changed their life one oda. It's never really hit them. It's never changed their hearts or their lives. 
But God would help these women remember those facts, what Jesus repeatedly had told them. And they remembered His words, the Bible says. But this time, but this time, God made Jesus' resurrection a reality to them that forever transformed their lives. They would never be the same. That's what God wants to do for some of you this morning. But notice with me another group of people who also were told the facts of Jesus' resurrection, His death and resurrection, who also needed Jesus to make those facts a reality in their lives and transform them as well. Look at verses 8 through 12. And they remembered His words and returned from the tomb and reported all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now they were Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James, Also, the other women with them were telling these things to the apostles. But these words appeared to them as nonsense, and they would not believe them. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings only, and he went away to his home, marveling at what had happened. I want to share with you five very interesting things about these two disciples And this third person, I'm sorry, let me go back. Notice, back here, got ahead of myself. Notice there was something very important, in fact, life-changing, that Jesus told them more than once that just didn't sink in. I'm talking now about the disciples. Verse 11 says what? But these words appeared to them as nonsense, and they would not believe them. That's where a lot of people are today, even in church. You know, they come because it's resurrection, celebration, Easter and all that. But it's still nonsense. They just won't believe the facts about the resurrection. Lots of people like those disciples. They believed it was all nonsense. Or to them, it just is some historical belief that becomes a religion that a lot of followers embrace around the world. These folk do not possess a transformed life filled with joy and peace and assurance and fellowship with God. The resurrected Lord Jesus Christ has yet to reveal himself to them, just as he needed to reveal it to these disciples. And perhaps today will be the day that he will reveal himself to you this Resurrection Sunday morning. But then there was also the greatest news that was ever heard by two men, two other disciples, on this Emmaus road. Look at verses 13 through 16. And behold, two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things which had taken place, While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. Let's stop there. I want to share with you five very interesting things about these two disciples and this third person who joined them on this walk. First... Jesus joined them on their journey, but they didn't recognize him. There he was, in their midst, but they didn't recognize him. 
Verse 15 says, while they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them. And then verse 16, but their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. Jesus just showed up on the same road and started walking along with him, but they didn't recognize this person as being Jesus. I wonder if a similar experience doesn't happen to a number of people, and maybe it's happening even right now to you. You've been aware that the resurrected Lord has been, you may not be, let me say, you may not be aware that the resurrected Lord has been working in your life. But He has. He knows all about you. He loves you with an everlasting love. And He's allowed situations to come into your life so that He can reveal Himself to you personally. These two men were not expecting Jesus to come to them, but that is exactly what happened. And that is what Jesus wants to do for you as well. But secondly, notice how Jesus probes the depths of their heart, exposing what's in their hearts. Verse 17, it says, And he said to them, What are these words that you are exchanging with one another as you are walking? He probes their hearts. They've been struggling with something so overwhelming. And he's going to use their struggle to reveal himself to them. Look at verses 18 through 24. One of them, named Clopas, answered and said to him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, the things about Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word in the sight of God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be to the sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, beside all this, it is the third day since these things happened. But also some women among us amazed us when they were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body. They came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just exactly as the women also had said, but him they did not see. Verse 17 says, He said to them, What are these words that you are exchanging with one another as you are walking? He probes their hearts, doesn't he? And so they tell him what's in their heart, the things they're struggling with here. Notice that their hopes and dreams were dashed. God had let them down. Maybe he's done that to you. That's where you are right now. God let him down. Jesus hadn't done what they were expecting him to do. In fact, he had turned their world upside down. He had allowed himself to be crucified. How could that be? How interesting that Jesus came alongside these two men and probed their hearts. And you and I need to learn from this, do we not? Everything that has been happening to you and me has been designed by God so that his son can reveal himself to you and me in a very wonderful personal way. The question is, will you, will I let him do that? But there's a third thing, a third observation. Jesus rebukes these two men and opens the scriptures to them. Look at verses 25 through 27. And he said, O foolish men, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things 
and to enter into his glory. Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. How interesting and worth noting, Jesus did not reveal himself to them by saying, Hey guys, look, it's me. Look at my hands. Look at my side. Remember, it's me. I'm Jesus. That's not what he did. He didn't say, I have been resurrected. No, what he did was rebuke them for not believing the scriptures and the reports that the women had also brought about his resurrection, as well as not for know, about knowing those scriptures. They should have known them. He then reveals himself how by explaining the scriptures, the written word of God to them. I'm sure he went to Psalm 22. There, there's a graphic description of the crucifixion. I would imagine he took them to Isaiah 53. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And he went all through the Old Testament showing that they pointed to him and that he must be crucified and rise on the third day. This book we call the Bible is all about Jesus Christ. He is the theme from Genesis to Revelation. The Bible tells you and me how Jesus, the Son of God, came to save us. We've sung about that, have we not, this morning. It is God's love letter to you and to me. It is the one book that speaks to our heart. It is the one book that transforms and changes a life, producing eternal life, causing one to be Born again, a spiritual birth. Listen to what it says. You have not been born again of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. And then it goes in, describes what that imperishable is. That is through the living and enduring word of God. And so he points them back to the written word of God. And that they would see him that way in the scriptures. He comes alongside these two men and he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures the Bible says. You know, you may not be a Christian. You may not have yet put your faith in Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you to do two things. Number one, get your Bible or get a Bible. And go to the Gospel of John and read it. But as you're reading it, say, God, if you're real, if this is true, what that preacher says, what those people sing about, would you reveal yourself to me? Would you settle that issue with me? Because if you are, I want to be saved. So get the Bible, the Gospel of John, start reading that. There's 22 chapters there. Read that and ask God to reveal himself to you. A second thing that I encourage you to do is get into a church where you can learn about the Bible. What does it say? And let God speak to you in that way as well. A fourth observation, as Jesus met and walked with these men, he waited for their invitation before joining them and revealing himself to them. Look at verses 28 and 29. And they approached the village where they were going, and he acted as though he were going further. Isn't that interesting? He was going to keep on going. But they urged him, saying, Stay with us, for it is getting toward evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. God sent his Son as his love gift to you to provide for you and me eternal salvation. But obviously there are myriads upon myriads upon myriads of people that don't want him. They don't want that salvation. One thing about the Lord Jesus Christ, he is a gentleman. 
He does not barge his way into your life or anyone else's life. He waits for you to receive him. In fact, look at verse 32. Verse 32 says, They said to one another, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? What's the point of that? It means that God is speaking to your heart as you hear these scriptures, as perhaps you read them on the wall behind me or in your Bible. He speaks to your heart. And they said, Was not our heart burning when he did that? And then he waited for them to invite him to come in and stay with them. And they did so, and so he came. That reminds me of John. I said you should read the Gospel of John. It starts out with John chapter 1, verse 12. But as many as received him, but as many as received him, to them he gave the authority or the right to become the children of God, even to those who believe on his name. Receiving, believing. A fifth observation about his walk with these men. He opened their eyes to behold, or Jesus opened their eyes to behold him and to know him. Look at verses 30 and 31. When he had reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it. And breaking it, he began giving it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. How was it that their eyes were suddenly open. Now he was walking with them, conversing with them. He explained the scriptures and how they pointed to the Christ and what he had to do. And yet they still hadn't made that connection. But as soon as he took that bread and broke it, they, ah, wait a minute. We've seen this before. We've seen this one break that bread. And then it says he blessed. And I wonder if he prayed our Father. And immediately they knew who it was. Their eyes were open. Maybe they saw the wounds in his hands. I don't know. But he opened their eyes. You know, of the five senses, and I treasure them all. I really do. But eyesight is one thing I'd hate to lose. Bad enough that the hearing's going. But eyesight... Maybe the taste a little bit, but I, I mean, your world really shrinks in when you cannot see. And it's interesting because Paul tells us the God of this world, that's Satan. That's that old devil. Listen to what he says. And some of you sit here and you're not, don't even have a clue this is happening. Others, you know it's happening. The God of this world, it says, has blinded. Ooh, there, he's blinded. The minds of the unbelieving. Why has he done that? So that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Satan says, I'll do everything I can. I'll make you blind. I will work with you in your pride. And keep you blind so that the light will never dawn upon you who Jesus Christ is. Well, dear ones, it dawned upon these men. They knew this is Jesus. Indeed, he had risen from the dead. The resurrected Lord Jesus Christ comes to you. And why does he do that? He comes to take that blindness away. He comes to reveal himself to you. And he does so using the Bible, the scriptures that are all about him. He desires to reconcile you back to God. 
and have rich and wonderful fellowship with you. Listen to this verse out of Revelation 3.20. Jesus gives you this personal invitation. He says, behold, stop there. He's trying to grab your attention. Behold, stop, look, listen to what I have to say. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. How does he knock? How do you hear him? Through the written word of God. What you're hearing this morning. The things, uh, the word of God was sung in song to us as well. You hear it through the written word of God. He knocks at your heart's door. May you hear him and open that door and may he come in and may you discover, wow, it really is true. He has resurrected, been raised from the dead. He is a true son of God. He is my only hope, my savior, my Lord. Well, there was another one who heard the greatest news ever heard. And that was Peter. Look at verses 33 through 35. And they got up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem, those two men on the Emmaus Road, and found gathered together the eleven and those who were with him, saying, The Lord really has risen and has appeared to Simon. And they began to relate their experience on the road and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of bread. Did you catch verse 34, though? Look at verse 34 again. The Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. Simon is Peter's other name. They were talking about the apostle Peter. Peter had been chosen by the Lord as one of the key disciples. He had walked with the Lord for three and one half years. But something had happened. Something had happened toward the end of those three and a half years, that had severely damaged their relationship. Things had not gone the way Peter thought they should. He couldn't understand at all God's plan and what was happening to Jesus. And when things looked like they were falling apart and then the pressure was weighing heavily upon Peter, he turned away from Jesus and he denied he even knew him. I think maybe Luke chapter 22 verse 54 might give us a clue to why this happened to Peter. What does it say there? But Peter was following at a distance. A lot of Christians are that way. When you analyze your, evaluate your walk, you say, you know what? I really have been following the Lord at a distance. I'm not close to him at all. Is it possible that you're here this morning and you can identify with Peter? You too are following Jesus from a distance. Perhaps you feel God has let you down. Listen, a lot of Christians do. Man, they got saved. They're excited. They have the joy of the Lord. They had the assurance of forgiveness. They had salvation. They knew they were going to go to heaven. But as they moved through the journey of life, it was like God let them down. He didn't come through like they thought he should. I mean, we know that God is sovereign. We know that the Bible declares He loves us and really cares about everything that touches our life. Then why would He allow this into my life? Where was He when I needed Him? Why? And believe me, every Christian sooner or later goes through those situations and those times. 
We trust that God would draw you closer to Him and just put His arms around you and hug you and hold you tightly. But some, no, no, you fail me. And like Peter, they turn away from Him. But listen, this was the greatest news Peter ever heard. I mean, it was personally spoken by the Lord Himself. After His resurrection, He deliberately searched out and revealed Himself to Peter. Isn't that great? He said, Peter, I'll do everything I can to get you back into fellowship. Come, walk with me. You are forgiven. What great news. And this morning, the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ comes to you and reveals himself to you and invites you as well to come and walk in fellowship with him once again. Maybe that's where you are and this Easter resurrection message, that's what God will be speaking to your heart about. I hope that you will. What joy to Peter. What joy to Peter to be restored, to be forgiven, to know once again the joy of that salvation. Let that be your case if that's where you are as well. But this was also the greatest news ever heard by the 11 apostles. Verses 36 through 45. While they were telling these things, he himself stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be to you. But they were startled, frightened, and thought that they were seeing a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. While they still could not believe it because of their joy and amazement, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. Now he said to them, These are my words, which I spoke to you while I was still with you that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. I want you to notice three things about Jesus' revealing himself to the eleven apostles after his resurrection. First, first, notice, he gently rebukes them for not believing. Verse 38, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Why did he rebuke them? Why would he rebuke them? They had been with him for three and one half years. They had heard him state and say profound things. They had heard him declare that he is the Son of God, their Messiah. They had even heard him repeatedly say, Listen guys, I'm going to go up to Jerusalem. I'll be rejected there and I'll be crucified. But on the third day I'll rise again. They had heard all of this. They had seen all this. He even sent the women back to them to say to to them, Look, he's risen. He's risen. And even the angels declared that to us. But no, they would not receive that as well. They also had the Old Testament scriptures. That was their Bible. And yet he reproves them because they didn't know their Bible and they didn't believe what the Bible said about him. But secondly, he was willing to help them turn their unbelief to belief. I like that. He is willing to help them turn their unbelief to belief. He spoke to their hearts, Peace be to you. He showed them his hands and his feet, encouraging them to touch him. He asked them for something to eat to show them that he was not just a spirit. So he encouraged them to believe. And number three, 
Number three, he used the scriptures again to reveal himself to the eleven. I want you to get that point. He used the Bible to reveal himself to the eleven. Look at verses 44 and 45 again. Now he said to them, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. That's their Old Testament. He's pointing them back to the written word of God. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Did you know you're not going to get saved? If you're here this morning, you're not saved. You're not going to get saved ever. You're not going to be forgiven ever. You're not going to go to heaven ever Unless it's through the scriptures, the written word of God, that you come to that place of saying, I believe what God has written. And I'm putting my faith in Jesus Christ because I believe the scriptures. And he said not one letter or little jot will pass away until it's all fulfilled. We could spend time on apologetics and talk about why we believe the Bible truly is the written Word of God. It's reliable. It's trustworthy. We don't have time to do that here this morning. But unless you come to believe the Scriptures, you're not going to get saved. You're not going to get forgiven. You're not going to have that blessed fellowship with Him. You're not going to know and have the assurance and guarantee of heaven. In fact, it reminds me of what Jesus said when He was here. He told the story about the rich man and a beggar named Lazarus. Lazarus believed in the Lord, but things were rough during his life. The rich man did not. Both died. And he tells what happened. He says the rich man was down there in this place called Hades. In terrible, terrible torment. But he could see across a huge gulf. He could not go across the gulf. Nobody on the other side of the gulf could come back to him. But he could see the beggar Lazarus. And he, there he was with Abraham. And he was in paradise. Everything was wonderful. He's being comforted. And he was totally full of joy and enjoying life. He could see all that. He cries out to Abraham. He says, Father Abraham, send Lazarus over here. Let him but just take a drip and put it on his finger and put it on my tongue for I'm in terrible torment in this quenching flame. I can't comprehend that, but Jesus is the one who told it. Jesus who rose from the dead. Jesus who came from God, who is God. He's the one who told the story. He said, no, nobody can cross over your way or from our way to your way. He said, listen then, listen, then send him. Just let him rise from the dead. Send him to my five brothers, lest they come here. I don't want them here. This is terrible, it's horrible. I don't want them here. Do you recall what Abraham said to that rich man? He said, no, they will not believe. They will not believe even if one rose from the dead. They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. What's he saying? He's saying if they won't believe Moses and the prophets, if they will not believe the written word of God, they will not believe even if one rose from the dead. By the way, shortly thereafter, Jesus would raise Lazarus, not the beggar, but Lazarus, a dear friend of his, who had been dead for four days from the dead. And then he would go to the cross, and three days later he would be raised from the dead, and they still would not believe. Amazing. 
If you will not believe the written word of God, you will not be saved. But blessed be God, there are those who do believe the word of God. And like it said, does not our heart burning when he spoke to us the word? And he explained the scriptures to it. Was not our heart burning? And they believed the word of God. So this was the greatest news ever heard by the 11 apostles, that Jesus really had been raised from the dead. But there's another group that it became the greatest news that was ever heard. You know who that was? That group is you and me. That's you and me. Look at verses 46 through 53. 46 through 53. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. The greatest news ever heard by you and me. And think about it. It's being proclaimed around the world today. Today. The greatest news ever heard. And many multitudes, thousands and thousands, will get saved today. And we'll recognize this indeed is the greatest news we have ever heard. The resurrected Lord Jesus Christ gave his 11 apostles this most important, vital message. They were to get to you and me, and it would be the greatest news ever heard. First, they were to tell you and me who Jesus Christ is and what he has done for us if we were to be reconciled back to God, to get saved, to be able to live forever with God in heaven. Notice verse 46. He said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day. He said, You go out. You tell people this is what happened, and this is why it happened. So they tell us who Jesus Christ is, what he has done for us. But second, They were to tell you and me what we would have to do if we were going to receive this eternal life. Look at verse 47. Verse 47. And that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. You know, you don't need to be saved if you're not a sinner. But all of us are sinned. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so you have to come to that place as you look at the scriptures, the written word of God, and God says, you're a sinner, and I'm holy God, and I cannot just accept you into my presence. You can't just enter into heaven unless I provide what's needed there, and only my son, who is a perfect one, can provide that. When I got saved, even as a little boy, I had to say, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I'm not arguing with you. Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. If I died in this condition, I would go to hell. I believe that. Boy, you say, they taught a little boy that? Yes, they did. I'm so thankful they taught me that. I said, I know I'm a sinner. If I die in this condition, I'll go to hell. But I don't want to go to hell. I want you to come into my heart and save me. And dear ones, he did. He did. Hallelujah, he did. And many of you are here and you can give the same testimony. Some at early age, some as teenagers, some of you at older years and age, and some of you even senior citizens. But you asked Jesus to forgive you and come into your heart. You repented of your sin. You turned to him. And he wonderfully, wonderfully saved you. And you know that joy of salvation. Secondly, 
or thirdly, I'm sorry, verse 49, they were going to receive a gift from God, and that gift is God the Holy Spirit. There is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. One God, three distinct persons. I don't understand that. But he said, you're going to receive God the Holy Spirit, a gift from God himself. Listen to what Ephesians 1.13 says. Listen to how it develops. Here's what it says, Ephesians 1.13. In Jesus Christ, you also, after, listen, after listening to the message of truth, that's what you're doing right now. After listening to the message of truth, the gospel, the good news of your salvation, having also believed. Isn't that good? You listened to it, maybe you read it, and you believed it. What happened then? You were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise. The moment I got saved, the moment every one of you who are saved got saved, and the moment you get saved if you're not saved, you will instantly receive God the Holy Spirit. That's what causes you to be born again. It's a miracle. Listen to this. Romans 8, 9 says, If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. doesn't matter how good you are, how great you are, how kind you are, how religious you are. If you do not have the Spirit of God, you do not belong to him. Listen to how the Apostle John put it. He said, He who has the Son has the life. And he who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. I would ask you this morning, do you have the Son of God? Do you have God the Holy Spirit dwelling in you? If you do, you have eternal life. Yes, you're physically alive, but you have eternal life as well. If you do not have the Son, if you do not have the Holy Spirit of God living in you, then you do not have life. I close my message with verses 50 through 53. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they, after worshiping him, returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising God. The Lord, having revealed himself to his followers, now he blesses them and then ascends back up into heaven as they watch him go back up into heaven. It's interesting, Dr. Luke, who wrote this gospel that bears his name, the Gospel of Luke, wrote another book that's found in your Bible, the book of Acts. And as he begins it, he really takes up where he left off in the Gospel of Luke. He tells about the disciples out there, and they watch Jesus ascend up into heaven, and then this message is given to them. Two men, angels, said, Why do you stand looking up into the sky? Listen, this Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. Did you get that? He has made a declaration, and it's all over the Bible. Old Testament, New Testament. This same Jesus, who's gone up into heaven, is going to come back. And by the way, you most likely knew that whether you knew it or not. That sounds like an oxymoron statement, doesn't it? But here's why I think that maybe you know it. Because most of you are very familiar with the Lord's Prayer. 
And you'll say it, or you'll, in your mind you'll think, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And then what? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How is it done in heaven? Perfectly. Gloriously. And he said, you pray that. And it's amazing how many religious people all over the world pray that and don't know what they're praying. But indeed, over and over again, he has said, I'm going to come back. I'm going to come back this time, not in humility, but great power and glory. I am going to come and take charge. I will set up my kingdom. And will you be a part of that kingdom is the issue, the question. Surely you know that our world is turned upside down as in a terrible mess. I don't have to say much there. You know that. You're as troubled as I am. Terrorism on every front. Nations arming themselves with nuclear weapons. Rogue groups seeking those same weapons so that they can use it against peoples and nations. The world economy, a house of cards. And you and I could go on and on discussing the conditions of the world. But you know and I know they're not good. They are definitely not good. We hear more and more talk today about Armageddon. Hollywood's putting out more movies on Armageddon. That's a word that comes out of the Bible. In fact, in Revelation, that word is found. It's the last great war of mankind. And when it takes place, then Jesus is going to come back to this earth. He will win that war. And he will take absolute control of the world. And that's why he came the first time, that he might redeem you and save you and me. And we could be there with him. That's an amazing thing, isn't it? That's the theology of the Bible. That's why God gave you this precious written revelation, this love letter from him to you and to me. So I ask you, are you ready for his return? Are you living in light of his imminent return? He is, he's coming back with great power and glory. This is why he revealed himself to his disciples after his resurrection. He said, you go, get that out to the whole world. You share that important message, the greatest news ever heard with the whole world. What a joy to do that this morning. Here's God's promise to you after hearing this greatest news. Again, let me state it. It's God's promise to you after hearing that greatest news. He says to you, if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, this promise, you shall be saved. For with the heart, man believes resulting in righteousness. It means you truly believe it. It's in your heart. It results in righteousness. You're born again. You receive the Holy Spirit. And with a mouth, confession is made, resulting in salvation. Finally, you're saying, I do believe it. I do believe it. It's real. It's true. That's what he means. To be truly saved and to be completely forgiven, to be given eternal life, to know that you're going to go to heaven, indeed is the greatest news that has ever, ever been heard. May God do that for you as he's done it for me. Father, we thank you for this Sunday that we who are saved celebrate every day. (laughs) I love those songs we sang this morning that they led us in singing that talked about dying and being with you, about your victory over death and hell and Satan. 
What a great salvation this is, Father. And I know as well that no one here will get saved unless you take your written word and speak to their hearts and tear that blindness away that Satan so smugly, so wickedly, so proudly has covered their mind of understanding with. Hey, I'm cool. I'm okay. I've got plenty of time. I'm not concerned. I believe there's lots of ways to heaven. I believe that God has to be this way and has to do that. And all of it is a lie of the devil, Lord, and he keeps that blindness over their minds and understanding. I pray, and that's all I can do, Father, share your word and pray. I pray that you, Holy Spirit of God, will rip that blindness away from their mind of understanding. And let this be their day of salvation, their day of joy, their day of knowing that they have peace with you, God, their day of knowing they've been reconciled back to you, their day of knowing that they have eternal life and that no matter what happens, they're going to be with you forevermore in heaven. May this be their day of confessing with their mouth Jesus as Lord and believing in their heart that, God, you raised him from the dead. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.